0: a blooming gang of humbugs said the turfman from RD There's
1: The bog in RD was famous for musicians but I'm not happy with the Greens and their attitude towards conservation and all that okay. sort of stuff I know we have to toe the line from Europe, but if they really want to solve the problem, they should go to China or some of the big offenders of this. You know, not not the small ones like us. You know?
2: Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne.
3: Well, hello again, and it's always grand to welcome you for another episode. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. That was the powerful voice of Mickey McRainer who lives in a small enchanting town in Ireland paying his respects to a certain political class who he thinks are totally out of touch with the realities of the natural and practical world at large as experienced and lived by people like Mickey McRainer. These people are totally clueless. He believes now mickey may be onto something and we'll get into that with my interview with mickey in a moment mickey mccranor runs a pub has lived his whole life in rd knows all about this charming and historic small town is steeped in the lore and legends and history of the area and the crack that's irish for fun he gave us a few notes of the celebrated local ballad, The Turfman from R.D. And you'll hear more of this and another song from his repertoire and on many other topics in my interview coming up. R.D. is worth a visit. The big ancient stone castle on Main Street is breathtaking. And I should know, I was born and raised in R.D., I now live in the US, but I love returning home to visit. The bog, as is referenced in the Turfman from RD, is no longer used actively for harvesting turf. And it sometimes surprises people that there is a bog like this in RD on the northeast coast, since we associate bogs and turf with other regions in Ireland, but there's a bog in RD, County Louth. It's a good time to talk about turf as lawmakers in remote and distant places clamp down, no pun intended, on the practice of harvesting turf and using turf to heat your homes. And as orders come from the powers that be that Ireland's peat bogs should be shut down reportedly to fight climate change. Now it doesn't sit well with people like Mickey and many other people in Ireland today. In this interview we covered local history, talked about industry, we talked about the amazing local characters who came out of RD over the years and we talked about RD's extraordinary sporting legacy. But it might be the history part that struck me the most because if past is prologue then much of the past can be used as a lesson as RD and Ireland more generally forges its future. Mickey McCraner, for one, certainly seems uncertain, if not a bit downcast.
1: Sadly, there was a pharmaceutical company going to open up on the, over at Currabegan. It was objected to, which should never have been allowed to happen, you know. But, I mean, children, the future generations have a denied work.
3: But the lessons of the past in some ways is about community, family fortitude, enterprise and optimism. And the creative spirit that Ardy is well known for past and present. The industrial world has bypassed Ardy according to Mickey McCranor. In fact this is a story familiar in the west of Ireland and deep in Ireland's heartland and border towns and in other areas of Ireland. You don't have to travel far from Dublin. RD on the northeast of Ireland is hardly an hour these days from Dublin with the better roads since my childhood, and despite the newfound economic recovery, if we can believe it, there is something uneven about what is happening in Ireland. Much of this recovery in Ireland is centred in places like Dublin, fuelled by multinationals who barely pay the Irish exchequer any taxes and as Ireland's national debt soars to record highs. This is a story repeated all over Europe and in America if you go just a short distance beyond the major metropolitan areas. Fortunately, the town of Ardee has some fine outstanding leadership. Mickey did finger a lack of leadership and I don't believe he was lumping everyone in the same category. In some ways he was talking in the abstract of remote leadership. Textbook bureaucrats in Dublin and in the heartland of Europe's political empire, Brussels, whose only connection with places like Ardy is often through a pinprick on a map in a cubicle in a high-rise building. Ardy is a lovely town And in many ways hasn't changed much physically since my childhood. I was recently back and we had a party, a gathering at Butterleys with my family and some of my local cousins and friends. My cousins there were Mavis and David Brennan who runs the fantastic RD Sports Company. I recommend a visit to RD Sports Company if you want to find one of the best places for superb clay pigeon shooting. On excellent grounds just outside the town. There was Rachel Brennan Waters, my dear relative was there as was my great wife Margaret and our young adult children Ashling, Sinead, Connor and Aidan and a man about town, a special family friend from the Garden State of New Jersey Andy Jolino. Also there for the fun was my brother Albert And I could go on. We had Ray McNeese on accordion. We bumped into Noel Rooney that night from RD. Nice meeting you again, Noel. And of course, we had Mickey McCraner, who's the proprietor of Butterleys, who sang and entertained. Do you know the song, I'll Take You Home Again, Kathleen, has a very special connection with RD. Yes, a special connection with RD. Listen to Mickey McCraner's account of the local origins, of this song made famous by everybody from Bing Crosby to Elvis Presley to even Ireland's very own Daniel O'Donnell. Well, that's Mickey McRainer's account. I conducted the interview in a quiet corner in Butterleys, which grows better with age. And in fact, there are many places in R.D., which have this same charm. There's Benny Anderson's Next Door, Gets Better With Age. And of course, there are some fine modern establishments where you can get nice meals and also have the crack. Stay tuned. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne.
2: A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political and social upheaval, life on planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth answers solutions and above all hope for our existential crisis
3: well i'm here in rd ireland with a legendary character and a very well-known proprietor of a watering hole a public house uh, called Butterleys. It's Mick Mickey McCraner His family here is several generations, and he's going to give us a little flavour of life in Ardee in this market town on the northeast coast in Louth, known as the Wee County. Welcome. Thank you. If you're now in your late sixties, so yeah. you've seen a lot of changes. Ah oh, well, Ardy was a wonderful place to grow up from the nuns and the brothers. It was a privilege
1: to live in a town such as Ardee.
3: Where did you go to school? What did they
1: teach you there? Who were your teachers? Well, I went to school to the De La Salle brothers in R.D. They were very good. The brothers they taught us the basics of reading, writing, history, and then, of course, sport. Uh, namely, our Gaelic games, hurling, football, and a wee bit of handball. We had a handball alley here in the town. It's, not, it's no longer here, but they taught us and they encouraged us. And They used to quote from, I think it was Socrates, a healthy mind and a healthy body. Now we're talking about the De La Salle brothers, they're no longer here. Many people miss them. I have good memories of the brothers. They were good educationists. They were a bit strict, but they had to be. That was the way it was that time. I, I was happy with them and they devoted many hours after the school time to help youngsters and young lads with their football and their horn and the tucknut next to the forest.
3: Now RD is in the northeast coast. Areas like this are starting to get more promotion and get more attention. And they mean sort of neglected, I suppose, up to now by the tourist board because there's a lot of interesting history and uh, rich characters, various traditions, music, and sports. We We were blessed with music here in the town, like we had the brass band, and from that
1: it spawned out many other musicians. And then, of course, in the girls' school and the boys' school, there were people with musical ability who are willing to help others. There's a nun up there, Sister Josephine has done Trojan work for the piano playing people of the town and then there were numerous other music teachers like there was Phyllis McKinney and there was Ivy McMahon and there was Lowell. And then of course the, the bog in R.D. was famous for musicians. They were famous like the McCormick brothers and the Marys and all those. They were all more or less self-trained out there in the bog. They were probably a wee bit behind their time but the more they made up for it with the musical abilities. There were some brilliant musicians and it's from that area that the traditional music in Ardee comes from. Of course we had an influx of uh, other people from other counties you know from Kerry and people came to work here like with the hospital and with the Board of Works and all the other and they all gathered and exchanged their music and you had the music style from Northern Ireland which was different say than the music from the carry sets and all that sort. Of, we we were very blessed with the with the music and of course then out of all that you had the different bands and the different groups and
3: the most famous song that people mention is the Turfman from rd That was written by a man called Atkins and
1: Dermot O'Brien
3: made that famous.
1: But the air that Dermot sings it to is not the original air. Now I heard it sung in the original air by a man from Drogheda, and it's it's a fantastic song, fantastic air and I do sometimes sing myself. And I would love to get the proper air which that man had. There's another tune, you know, that's closely linked with RD and it's I'll Take You Home Again Kathleen. And that was written in Chicago. But the man that wrote that was a man called Thomas Wieseldorf and he was a German. And he was married to one of three sisters that left RD in the 1850s and was out there. One of the girls returned to RD. The other one went out for the West. But this other girl sadly Thomas Wieseldorf's wife died and he referred to her as Kathleen it may not have been Kathleen but there are Christmas cards or some cards in a house just outside Hardy signed by Thomas Wieseldorf and it's based on one of three sisters who emigrated ironically enough as you said John from the bog in Hardy to America she never returned although he always promised he'd take her home again Kathleen to where your heart has ever been. He never got the chance. The woman died.
3: The bog was active up to what year?
1: But the bog provided turf, especially in the war years. It was a big money spinner. There was a lot of money if you're a good- the Second World War. Yes. If you're a good worker, as many of the men were, the all powerfully built men, that cut the turf, saved the turf, like you had to cut it and spread it. and You know, you had to dry it, and then you put it in a, a clamp, and then you took it home. When the man of the slain, or the slawn was cutting the turf, some places to cut it on a bank, but in our reed, they tended to drop down by different floors. And when the man was down near the bottom floor, he would throw the turf with the slawn, and the catcher would catch it, put it on the barrel, and wheel it, and spread it for drying, John. And that's what the catching of the turf entailed.
3: I will say with great fondness, I did uh, gather potatoes, up in Finnegan's and participated in the uh, strawberry harvest with the Commons, the wonderful Commons brothers. We had a lot of I was there. laughter there, and I, I seem to remember you one day bringing your crew. Yeah, I was there, John. I was <laughs> there. So you haven't done any consulting work for Bord Mona. <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, you know, you know,
1: on that topic, like, I'm not green, but I'm not happy with the greens and their attitude towards conservation
3: and all that okay. sort of stuff. You know. Tell us a little more about
1: well, that. Well. You know, you're you're love nature. Oh, yeah.
3: You've worked the land.
1: Well, it's a sad day when a man has a bit of a bog or has Torbury rights. You know what Torbury rights are? Mm. It goes along with your house that you can't go out and cut a piece of turf and warm your house. Mm. That these people go around on the bicycles and say, hey ho, Harry's, you know, and all this mm. carry on and don't know that's wrong and this is wrong. Mm. Uh, like, I grew up in an age when you heated your house with turf and sticks. And then, if you're lucky enough, then you got a solid fuel cooker, which we, we all had that anyway, but the oil, so yep. it, there was a, a boiler attached to that, and of course you heat the radiator, so you had central heating, all from your turf or your sticks. And then if you were doing a wee bit better, you had an oil cooker or an oil burner out the back, and you had that. Now the Greens want to stop all that. I don't think that's right. It's wrong. I know there are problems with with uh, emissions, but we are not the
3: greatest... Problem there that bigger countries than us, I think they should leave us alone. So you probably also have some beef with the European Union on these matters?
1: Not really. I know we have to toe the line from Europe, but if they really want to solve the problem, they should go to China or some of the big offenders of this, you know, not not the small ones like us.
3: You're at the bottom of the town, so you could literally walk to the bog that's in about course. five minutes. Five minutes, yeah. It was wonderful, you know, because I can go at the back door
4: Mm.
1: there's a wood at my back door which is part of the Ruxton estate and then you cross the field and you're into the gothlings.
3: Is that now part of St Joseph's?
1: St Bridget's Bridget's. was a mental hospital and they all had their own facilities they could supply their own stuff like they would have had cattle and they would have all the vegetables and all that sort of stuff and I think there was around 400 acres which there was one place there called Malone's Dirty Meadow and that was taken by compulsory all that by the mental hospital which was run by the Loud County Council initially and they did that with any place they wanted but Mm. they had a large swat of land there up as uh, the Kells Road and it went on up towards Currabeg and all around there and then they had another farm where by by the convent there that housing estate.
4: Oh, De La Salle. Town. De La Salle. That was yeah. that
1: was part of the hospital. Huge yeah. farm run by by a man called Michael Scholar. He was the boss man there. You know, we we had a bog. My my father had cattle out in the bog, and I would just go out walk out across the fields. You know, it was lovely. So so much freedom now. When 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 I was growing up, that's the way it was. And then when my kids were growing up, sadly the the winos came on stream. You know, and I I, I was very vexed. I had an altercation with them one night. You know, mm. because in the wood of St Joseph's, they used to meet there. And, they set up the fire and they'd be drinking their cans and they were from everywhere, you know. Mm. So one day I was coming home from work and I just scattered the fire and scattered them, you know. But they they came back. (laughs) I suppose I should have kept that, you know, (laughs) but I backed off. I didn't want to cause too much trouble. Mm. I played there and I felt safe.
3: But the bog is still there.
1: Oh, the bog is there, but a lot of it's reclaimed now. When I would have been out there, there would have been heather and all sorts of... more natural, you know. Mm. Today... It's providing beautiful vegetables in the line of cabbage and carrots and celery and all that sort of stuff, you know, and broccoli and Brussels sprouts. The, the bog is a very, very productive place, you know. You
3: know. By American standards, it, this is a small town. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's considered officially a market town. There's a lot of grain mills in the yeah. area when I was growing up here too, and yeah, you yeah, obviously. Yeah. Bridge Street had one, McGee's, Murhall. Hall. Where else, halfpenny's, halfpenny's all bigger. had that, and they make and and then we had the mart, which was moved just slightly outside the town. It's still dependent on the farming community, but it also has some industry. And back in the day, it had the textile factory. Yeah. So, what were the biggest changes? When did they occur? You see, Ardy
1: suffered badly from not having great leadership over the last few years. The biggest lost to me I know any man that loses his job is very sad you know and it's, it's it's not right you know if a man's working he should be encouraged to work or a woman it doesn't make any difference but we don't have a strong representative here in RD, with the result that all the industry created in Loud ends up in either Drogheda in the dark now RD would have a history as having objectors but these should have been overcome I mean we lost out on a lot of industries due to local people objecting, due to their own individual needs and not catering for the general public. Now Ardee as, as a market town was a market town, but you have to remember many of the farms around Ardee are very large now. If you are in Cavan or Monaghan, especially Cavan, a lot of the farms are 15, 20, 30, 40 acres, but those people that own those farms many of them work in the gypsum and other allied uh, industry industries there so they they have a very buoyant area to live you know whereas Ardy doesn't have that but there are a lot of farms but they're mostly big large farms and with the introduction of machinery now you mentioned gathering spuds above and Finnegan's, that's no longer there Mm. To put a harvester in, and that harvester would go 24 hours and to do so much work, and only yeah. needs one or two people sorting potatoes mm. out on the back, you know. And just
3: as many as 100 people yeah. on yes. those fields. And
1: That's right. Tom yeah. Finnegan was driving up and down. Yeah, Tom was a great employer, you know, and I remember. Yeah, he was well liked. He was he was an, hon- an honourable man, John, mm. Tom Finnegan. You know, and I remember people coming into to me you know, that would have been gathered in spuds. But then you see, we lost out. McGee's was a big employer, McGe's of RD, and a similar
3: situation arose there, yeah. You know? And McGee's were an iconic name oh, in this yeah, town yeah, in fact yeah. they were legend in song you mentioned mcgee's of rd on fifth avenue new york to some irish person living there they'd say oh mcgee's of rd it would mean something there were two brothers involved tom and paddy you know but sadly
1: paddy mcgee's three sons are now deceased there mm. no not mcgee there but mcgee's were a great employer but as you say they were iconic but not only were they an employer but they attracted in people into the town there was people coming in to buy off McGee's Valley because they had the stuff there that people wanted. They had the articles, they had the household, they had everything that you could want. They had machinery, they had light hardware, they had heavy hardware. McGee's had everything. They were on the street there. Now it's closed and there's one big, long, black area there where McGee's was. Super Value were there, but they have moved to a larger and bigger, and more substantial premises out the back. But it takes from the street of RD. The streetscape is depleted. It doesn't look good for a town to see too many places idle, and there's a lot of places in RD idle at the moment. But it's probably the influx of the multinationals into Drogheda and Dundalk, and we have one here in RD. And certainly they do give good value, mm-hmm. but it's at a cost to our street.
3: Ireland has recovered, depending how you define that, from the financial crisis, but as small towns are overlooked. Is that what's going on?
1: I have to agree with you there because all you have to do is look at the price of properties that uh, a premium in Dublin, where it's not down, to, down the country.
3: The economy of RD, like most of Ireland, was hit hard by the banking and financial crisis of 2008 that plunged Ireland into a brutal recession. In the immediate aftermath, many people emigrated from Ireland, a familiar safety valve in times of crisis in the country, and many left RD. Now, while the unemployment rate nationally and in areas like RD is now just under 5% or hovers about or just above the single digits, certainly well below the double-digit highs of a decade ago, many RD residents say the jobs are scarce. In a development that has picked up steam, many bright, talented, skilled and local-educated people Travel long distances from RD to jobs in Dublin and in other areas of the country, and some have left RD and Ireland for jobs abroad. But well, everything seems to be
1: centred around Dublin. This is what I was saying earlier on we don't have a good leader here in the town to get industry in here and get this place reorganized and revitalized as well. We need, the last man we had would have been Bernard Markey and I think he may have played a big part in introducing Lee Jeans, who was our last major employer here in the town. You had factories here, you had all that, you were well catered for with work and employment. The textile, you had McGee's, you had the chair factory, you had the hospital, but then they're all gone. If you were living in an area where you had so much work and labor and employment, you, you were you were happy. I could go out in the morning. I know I'd get work when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I- uh, no, I wouldn't get that well paid. That day is gone, sad
3: You grew up born in the early 50s? I, I was a Christmas present in 1950. I'm asking that because I'm trying to get a sense when you grow up. The population of the town hasn't grown all that much since. You just had the main
1: street, you know, and you had. Everyone knew everyone here. Now it's not, a, it's not the case now. When mm. Our numbers are going down, you know, and our donor is somebody who's born a rarer than RD, you know.
3: 3,000 people? Or people are obviously welcome if they, oh, yeah, if they make a yeah, contribution. Yeah,
1: yeah, if they make a con- but. Hard to
3: tell, you. Know. It's part look, of the answer when people come, people work and get rewarded. It's important that people are productive. Yeah, you're growing up years
1: ago, you'd be playing football and you'd be playing hard, and you'd be going here to, playing table tennis there, and you'd be, you know, a social outlet. Then you'd have the shows here in the town, like the talent competitions, all that sort of stuff. And people are contributing, and you had a lovely, a lovely atmosphere here. Do you see? Sadly, the industrial world. Has bypassed Ardee. You know mm-hmm. we don't have, but now the lack of coaches from out there. They have about forty people work. You know they are very capable. Like, There's not many businesses here around Ardee as forty people. Yeah. It wouldn't be considered big, maybe and draw it in Drogheda and the dark. But right. It's Both great. You know, time. it's great. I like to see that. I like to see progress. In
3: back in the day, we were living inside the pale. I won't call it a divide, but you were living here and yeah. they were living in the west.
1: That sort of a um, situation mm-hmm. did exist, but that's gone. Mm-hmm. The old the statement of beyond the pale, you know, so we were within the pale as such. Right. And I suppose, well, what did that mean?
3: For well, people, we were, for what were the hardcore, who were they?
1: Well, they were mostly, I suppose they should have been up, not upper class, but they, were, they weren't poor, You know, they weren't totally dependent say on agriculture, hmm. or they weren't dependent on business, but they had a mixture here in the town. A lot of them had businesses, you know. There
3: was a lot of characters in Artie. Yeah,
1: there was lovely characters, you know. There was one man, he called the Admiral McGee. He was called the Admiral to be talking about sending a man to the moon. But you see, what people didn't realise, Admiral had travelled the world in the Navy. He was a very clever man at the back of it. He'd boast about they were going to send a man to the moon. But he was 10 years before his time. He knew it. Mm-hmm. He was very, very intelligent. And a lot of the people in Ireland were intelligent. You know. There was another man, you know, one time he was given evidence in a court case in the castle. Uh, there was an accident at the top of the town in john street and the judge didn't realize what he had he thought just was an ordinary fella you know but he asked him the man was given evidence and in part of the evidence he stated that the the church went past the church and of course the judge asked this man jim or jem as he was known is the church in john street Jem looked at the judge and he said, well, it was there this morning. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: you see, there were very clever boys around here and people didn't know it. Very, very clever, you know. They'd be talking about something a hundred miles away, but they'd actually be referring to something within quite close by, you know, that, you see, they were educated, in fairness, from the De La Salle brothers. And they knew to read. And they knew how to look at things from different perspectives. You know? And
3: there was a lot of, uh, let's call them, traditional characters. Certain ladies would have the shawls on them. You, ah,
1: yeah, I remember the shawls, but the ladies you and a... Oh well, that was tradition over there. You know, they wore the shawls and they kept wearing them. That was from from way back in the eighteen hundreds. Some others mm-hmm. wore them, and they wore them. the first one. I think it was poor Molly, Mrs. Molly Bark. She was M- yeah. married to Bark or Brain. Yeah, she used to wear the carries. They used to wear the shawls. I remember them coming into mass in the fifties yeah. and sixties. You know. Mm-hmm. Ah, were lovely people there in John Street. The mission was on, and the mission would be a religious retreat in John Street in the church. Mm -hmm. And of course, we had Father Cullen here, and Father Cullen was trying to. And
3: just to describe the picture. The, the stalls would be at Oh the church, yeah, to be selling like the, all the, paraffin, the religious
1: paraphernalia and all that. People would be lining up by yeah, wonderful it. religious icons and uh, to be different degrees of blessings and the different articles, you right. know. And Father Cullen was trying to impress the missioner who'd be brought in to regenerate our, our lapses in our religious practice and all like that, get us going again, you know. As he by this gate he met a lady, or the woman of the house. And he spoke to her, good evening, he said, oh, good evening. And he went to introduce the missioner to this lady, and it was the men's mission. Each week would be a man, next like to be the woman, the women, sorry, you know. Anyway, in the background, there was a clunk, click. And Father Cullen says, what's that? Ah, that's himself, father. What, what? He says, ah, that's himself. He's putting in the spuds, the potatoes, I suppose, you know. Oh, and is he not at the mission. Ah, no, Father, no. And why is he not at the mission? Well, Father, you put in the spuds and I'll send himself to the mission. So that was the end of that.
3: <laughs> That's it Official Fish on Friday. Women of R.D., yeah. we all loved them, but they weren't all able to embellish no. the fish like they can today. It was quite plain. Friday punishment. <laughs> for all your sins and wrongdoing John Uh, you
1: should have had it on Saturday and Sunday as well (laughs) well you know the strange thing about it in Lent which is the 40 days fast in Ireland you you abstain from meat as well and what you eat was fish but the name of the fish was ling and the butchers and the grocers would hang the ling outside on spikes or on a bar outside of the shop, showing the people that they had ling. Mm. Now, I don't know where that would go today with health and safety, that you would expose the fish, (coughs) that you would hang the fish outside for the flies and all to come at But, by a strange coincidence, there would be a delivery of salmon to Campbell's pub or Campbell's shop. Now, Campbell's shop, why Campbell's shop was there, because... At that stage, there weren't very many vans and deliveries of parcels would all come to Paddy Camels. Mm. And one of the deliveries was salmon. And strange enough, the salmon was for the priest's house. So we had to live on Ling while the priests loved their salmon. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a well-known. No, 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 that was it. They, 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 they had salmon, but the, the army, Joe Soap, he just had Ling cheap fish mm. and it wasn't very nice either i can tell you i remember it you
3: know. <laughs> catholic church was central to
1: life oh, growing yeah, yeah, up yeah. and most of our churches are built after the famine or just around 1849 around that plenty of money about i don't know how it was about or who had it but i think with with all the death and desolation that was there for the well it actually wasn't a famine it was actually a holocaust yeah how sure.
3: did it impact our day? funny enough There were a
1: few uh, famine pots about there was one used to be at the square and then johnny McCraner had it down in his orchard and then it was moved across from the orchard to welsh's gardens and it was in there up until about 10 years ago and i went looking for it to to get it just to preserve it because I, i had access in there so i was going to try and save the famous famine pot for our future generation. and describe what uh, famine, now, a pot, famine pot was introduced by uh, the quakers to ireland mm. to you would, would cook soup in it or it would cook meals in it for the unfortunate people that were dying of hunger but it was the quakers that brought it in in mm. the famine pots mm. into ireland you know mm. so but we weren't really that badly hit we we have a workhouse here you know and i have the minutes of the workhouse book for the years of the famine you know but everything didn't go into the book but I have the books, I have the original book handwritten, signed by Lee Norman, who was a big landowner down in Harbour, just north of R. D. there. You know. There was famine graves there you know, too, you know, there's one up in uh, or Then there was supposed to be a lot of people buried to the rear of the old workhouse here in R D. They were supposed to let them out on a chute. And they just buried him out the back, you know. But the the, mm-hmm. the course of the river in RD, the famous R. D. River D, where Kuhulan mm-hmm. and Ferdia fought, that was altered to facilitate the erection of the workhouse in RD. You'd wonder then how they could change it and still facilitate the middle, mm-hmm. what was the king's middle there mm-hmm. with the big wheel and all. Mm-hmm.
3: There was Foster
1: Square in Main Street. Yeah, there were two brothers. There was Via Foster and Frederick Foster. Frederick Foster was the last speaker. In the House of Parliament, or in for, for Ireland, he was the last speaker. That's the man that's up there. That people will object to having him there, the old hardline boys. But there was a Vier Foster, whose brother, as far as I know, and the, he was the son of a diplomat who lived just outside Tallentstown there in Glyde Court, and he did unbelievable work for the children of Ireland. Uh, he it was who introduced the Foster writing copybooks. have you you've used them yourself john
3: uh, yes he was church of ireland
1: oh he would probably would have been yeah he wouldn't he, he wasn't catholic as far as i know but the history of via foster he died penniless and he spent all his fortune on educating and improving the education and facilities of the irish actually he was the founder member of the into the irish national teachers organization and at one of his one of their meetings in belfast foster was a down and out more or less you know a man He went by the meeting, and not one of the teachers recognised him. They did in later years and invited. It failed. Him. Yeah, Rhea Foster would have organised the ships to bring the young girls from the workhouses of Ireland. There was thirteen left RD workhouse, and they went to America.
3: What year, roughly time period? After
1: the famine time, I think, around eighteen.
3: Sixty and fifty, but it was after the famine. Yeah, which was yeah, yeah. Co- to yeah coincided
1: with the famine in a way. Now that you're a naturalized American, you should know this. On their way through America, they met an up-and-coming young lawyer, and they stayed in his house. Foster and the girls from Ardie. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> oh, okay. They met Abraham Lincoln. You know, there's a, f- a film made recently about Abraham Lincoln. There a couple of years mm. ago. I would have loved if Ard had had been mentioned. In
3: the Wild Goose Lodge is a movie and is also an actual place in Rheastown just outside the town of RD. The movie was made a few years ago by two talented local men, William Martin and Paul McArdle, and is described as an historical true story of the Lynch family, the Irish ribbon men and British sympathisers who are living in local territory in the year 1816. I will read here from the movie Logline Notes. The Lynch family try to defend themselves against the British and their own Irish heritage when their home is broken into by local villagers and a report of the break-in leads to the hanging of the culprits by the British magistrate, much to the surprise of the Lynch family, and the local Irish neighbors. The local ribbon men vow revenge against Lynch while the town priest tries to maintain peace within the village. I read once how there is nothing welcome in war except in its ending let peace prevail. Mickey McCraner weighs in on the Wild Goose Lodge in our interview.
1: Oh yeah, the Yeah, uh, that was that's down in Reus Town, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, no, I didn't know. I thought it was, in the outer. that was a tough time in Ireland. The Ribbon Men ruled that time. A man called Devan was the leader. You know, he I think he might have had an eye for Devan's daughter, who married. Devan had an eye for Lynch's daughter, but Lynch's daughter married someone else. And Devan was a school teacher, and he looked after the school. War. They tried to rob Lynch one night, and it was a bit of a fiasco. And Lynch complained to the police, and the three men hanged. The result was the van, the van swore revenge, and then he attacked the lodge one night with, with his followers. He burned it, you know. He, he tried on another occasion to get up to it, but he didn't get to it because it was, the weather was, was flooded. I think the area around it. The, I know exactly where the, the lodge was. It was an, an elevated piece of ground there, just before you go into Monaghan on the right hand side. But it's elevated. The van burned the house and there you know, seven people burned alive there, you know. But and no one no one spoke, you know, no one spoke of it and it got it very hard to find out who.
3: Those days were difficult for the average Irish person. Tales of people being locked away for stealing turnips.
1: But used to send them away over to Australia, mm. you know, a lot of people in Ireland would have robbed that time purposely to get sent to Australia. <laughs> you know, and when yes. you're not when you when you got sent out there, now I know of one man that went out you know and uh, Mm -hmm. yeah he was on the outskirts he wasn't really involved in the Wild Goose Lodge but he would have been sympathiser with that ribbon men mentality you know and he was sent to Australia to Parramatta Jail you know but because you're in Parramatta Jail you weren't actually in a cell you had to go out and you had to work and help the local farmer the local Mm -hmm. builder Mm -hmm. the local Mm -hmm. shopkeeper but when your time was done he got he got life which was 25 years when he came out of that got his freedom now he did escape at one stage. He was at large for three years, but when they got him, his court case was in the some of the Sydney papers. I read it. You know, I actually know. he was sentenced to fifty lashes of the whip. You know, mm. and he said to the judge, "I'll do it again," mm. but he didn't after get the whip. Yeah. But he he when he got his freedom in 1847, okay. he got 400 acres of land off the of the you no know, the Australian government. You right. know, but then he had to work that. But he didn't work for too long. I know he sold it on. But mm
3: was arty a hotbed for rebellion i ah, know there was, was
1: you'll always get the the old rebel you know the man that's going against the grain but you know i think would have yeah there would be a lot of sympathizers to uh irish traditions and irish culture you know and that, that was being subdued by the brits you know control so by them so to speak and uh, that's the way some people saw it that way others didn't but you had some very big houses around here, you know, big lords and ladies. And they were loud and you might go over and slain there, you know. And mm. Then you had other big places like the castles. All, but, well, there weren't really castles as such, but they were regarded as castles. Mm. They, were, they were fortified tower houses, but they were castles, they were called like, you had, uh, knock Abbey, you know and you had loud hall like loud hall would mean the plunkets would be of for plunkets people you know mm-hmm. and st. And that, yeah he used Saint. to hide there he that's used to hide kind of in it so hall. for
3: people who may be interested his head is embalmed in a church in drogada
1: so head hmm. is there in st peter's in Drogheda, Right? it came from a nun i think he was beheaded over in tyburn in england his family were from La crew over in county mead which is which has similar architecture to note and doubt up in it's very similar they're, they're, they have all those large mounds in La crew La crew is actually the highest point in county mead but the aristocracy here tended to look after the people pretty well they when you said
3: our people the people that worked for yeah them.
1: they all had houses on the land and if they weren't they, they were okay like you had down yeah. there the, say the Filgates. Mm-hmm. if you worked there you had a field for you know you could put a few cattle mm-hmm. you know or You could grow a few potatoes for yourself wherever you want. You know, they they weren't
3: bad really. Mm. That's that's one
1: of the reasons why we were not too badly affected in the famine here.
3: Mm. Put it into perspective did some people in this area starve, lose their lives? See,
1: the problem with it was we had famine graves up there in Smarmer. So I don't know the full history of those, Mm. but there is a famine grave where it's a mass grave and it's only just outside of the town, you know, Smarmer. Smarmor got his name from the famous Battle of Kouhullen and Ferdia. Mm-hmm. Smarmor is the English version of the, the marrow bone. When Kuhullen and Ferdia fought, they were half brothers. The medical men on both sides used Marrowbone or the to Marrow the marrow of the bone to heal the sores. Mm. So you got the name Smarmore up there because that's where the retreated to after the battle each evening, you know.
3: And RD is spalia I the Ford of Ferdia. The place the epic the battle.
1: The place of the Ford of Ferdia. Mm. Oh. Place. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. he was supposed to be buried somewhere close by but they never could find his grave you know he probably is somewhere but there were rumors that it was over where the hospital is the mental hospital and there was there was uh, a southern discovered there but there was nothing in it you know ferdias and coo they were single combat you know the first uh, and single half on the river dean yeah but but they were half brothers and they went to Scotland and they trained how to fight in Scotland. That's what they trained. Then they came back. And, and this got, is
3: going back what century is this?
1: Oh, probably second or third century. It be warriors, you know. And then Queen Maeve wanted the brown bull of Cooley. So she enlisted Ferdi to fight Coochollan, who was the warrior from the north, with, with uh, the intention of taking the brown bull, you see, of Cooley. So even today, you can be valued on the number of cattle you have.
3: Was there any Irish spoken in this area i know in omead which is 15 miles from here close to dundalk and literally on the border yeah it, it, there was a Gael there up. oh there was irish here oh mm. there was irish there was schools there was a school just over there
1: in one of those houses you know a man and uh, we're looking across the street from school in there you know an educated man could come and set up and teach you know like it was similar to the hedge schools where you paid a penny a week but we had a school down there prokill hall used to be the, the school years you ago know. in my time Native speakers tended to come in from That's Donegal right. and Kerry. But then when we were at school, as you were saying there, there was a resurgence of uh, Irish in the form of a thing called Buntus Cainter. And I, it was great because it was nice talking to the Irish, but what I love time got near me all between ish. There was always a dance after it, you know, and you were doing the, the waves of Tory and all that sort of stuff, and they were great dancers, you know. Again, it was a lovely, lovely atmosphere. Now, I don't know whether you get people to do that today or not. We didn't have the televisions that was there, and all the computers, the internet. But.
3: Can we get one verse of the Turf man from our day? <laughs> well, there's one very good verse in it,
1: and it's to do with our leaders. I don't know whether it's appropriate or not, but uh, it's the second last verse, I think. And in it, he talks about the men that are leading the country. Pretty derogatory, but can be accurate at times.
0: Well, we talked about our country's wrongs, and how we are oppressed of the men we sent to Parliament to have our wrongs redressed. I have no faith in members now, or anything else you see. There, a blooming gang of humbugs said, "The turfman from Ardee." There's the bow. There's the. the. Thank you, McRainer. Very well done.
3: Coming up after the break, that will take us all the way back to the year 1957. That was the year many young men from RD, yes RD was very well represented on this team, joined the squad of other players from their native county, Louth, the wee county as it's often called, to clinch victory for Louth over rival County Cork in the Gaelic Athletic Association's All-Ireland senior football championship final. The captain of the Loud team was Dermot O'Brien of RD, who went on to have a distinguished career at home and abroad as a singer and musician and entertainer. In Ireland, winning the All-Ireland final is the equivalent of winning the Super Bowl in the United States. Mickey McCraneo remembers the big victory for Louds. And after the break, he'll take us back to that time and reminisce on where he was during the celebrations as the Sam Maguire, the cup that's given out to the winning team, rolled through RD after Loud's epic victory on September the 22nd, 1957.
4: Why are 20 veterans a day taking their own lives? In this new gripping, brutally honest memoir, Iraq War veteran Tom Voss reveals the answer and an unexpected solution to the veteran suicide epidemic. Driven to the brink of suicide by the moral injury of war, Voss walked 2,700 miles across America in search of healing. What he found was something medication and talk therapy couldn't give him, relief from the guilt, shame, and sorrow that had been torturing him for years, a relief that came in the most unexpected form meditation, and sacred breathing techniques that shattered his understanding of war and himself. Dr. David Shulkin, ninth secretary of the VA, says Where War Ends will inspire countless others, leaving them with a sense of purpose and hope. Brian Kinsella of Stop Soldier Suicide calls Where War Ends a captivating personal journey written with a compelling urgency. For veterans, their families, and anyone suffering from trauma, Where War Ends offers an antidote to the moral injury epidemic. Get your copy today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, IndieBound, or ask for it at your favorite library or independent bookstore.
5: And here they come. Loud, O'Brien, O'Neill, Conlon, White, Coleman, Bean Riley, Cunningham, O'Donnell, Lynch, McDonald, Rose, Smith, Blood and & Meehan, and Cork, Led by Duggan, Driscoll, Kelleher, Ryan Harrington, Moore, O'Sullivan, Power, Furlong, Murray, Bernard, Henshin, Gould, Fitzgerald & Goulding. Free, Garda, Eric, Ryan opens the scoring with this right away as Loud & and Jim Rowe equalized amid scenes of wild enthusiasm. But before the excitement had died down, Neely Duggan put Cork in front again, only to find that Jim Rowe was only too willing to match point for point. Before we could say the teams are level again, Seamus O'Donnell put Louth in front for the first time. At the other end, the ball goes to Duggan, then to Toots Keller. He cuts in, Tries to fist over a point, but a valueless 50 was the only result. And then, star marksman Kevin Bean puts now the head for the second time. Everything looked fine for the border men, but watch Cork Captain Neely Duggan. As he steadies himself for a surprise goal at the far end to put the Rebel County in front for the third time. And again, Cork surged into a tank. Duggan to Kelleher, heat to Fitzgerald, and Fitzgerald over the bar to put Cork two points in front at half time. This is Sean Cunningham as he watches his chance and puts the border county in front again. And still Cork comes back. Eric Ryan takes a free and Tooth Kelleher puts the team's level for the fifth time. And here comes Kelleher again, and Cork are back in the lead. And then it happened. Bean sends in from the sideline, and Sean Cunningham finishes it at the net. Loud are in front. Cork still fought. And then the honour falls to Jim Ian. To repulse those who would try to snatch the title from Loud's grasp. And here it is Loud are all Ireland champions for the third time. Among our memories of this epic game will be our last look at the old Hogan stand, which are under the memory of Gaeldom's martyr.
1: I was only six years old, but I remember so well. The triumphant team on the back of Paul Manning's lorry came down to town and my father, and Mick Lennon, who used to work with the council, and his son Paddy, and we met just outside the, our own house. And there was a bonfire outside Mrs Carter's pub, which is now the real MacKay's, and MacKay's at the Fair Green. And there were speeches there and talking, and, and it was great. It was a lovely atmosphere, and it was dark, and the fire was lit. And actually, if you just hold on a second, have something there that you might be interested in. I going to show you something. You this is a Eucharistic medal from 1932. Oh, the from the Eucharistic Congress? Yeah. Oh,
0: but that's, as okay. you can see,
1: there's a chalice on it, and there's a yes. cross, yeah, and it's bronze. it's mm. quite heavy. And it's based on the Celtic cross. And that is the design that is now used for the All-Ireland Medals. Yes. I bought that in a mark. I recognised it instantly. It's the Eucharistic Medal. The Eucharistic Congress was held in Ireland in 1932. Yeah. John McCormack was the, the, the main man there singing
3: at like that. Dermot O'Brien went on to have another career in the music, music industry. Music, yeah, he was very good at college. Well known all over Ireland, had his own television shows. He played with Bing Crosby. He did. Uh, a legend.
1: Yeah, he was a talented man. You know, Dan was talent, very good, an excellent footballer. Lovely, nice fella too to have a chat. With. We, we've other good accordion players here too. Like it was mm. Pat Neary, was a brilliant player, uh, and still is. Pat is still up uh, Pat a class. And we have like Raymond McNeese, and we've other. Raymond's oh. uh,
3: regular. oh ah, yeah, he's in and he's had engagements in the US and locally. The, in fact, he played for my family. Uh, recently here in Butterlys and we had a fine night.
1: Oh, thank you very much.
3: (laughs) (laughs) How many of the 57 team are living in the town or outside the town Uh, or or alive? Well, in RD you have Patsy Coleman and Kevin
1: B, two legends. Mm. B. He loves to get back and do what we're doing now and chat and talk about RD and the history of RD and the people and the individuals. But he would have been quite young in 57 and of course, Patsy Coleman is the same now. Patsy wasn't well there for a while, but sadly, his wife died. You know, and it's, it's it's taken an effect on P- P- Patsy. You know, and he's a lovely, lovely man. They would have been our icons, you know. And then you had Boyle before that,
3: Sean Boyle, you know, and all those lads. Rose was a lovely man, you know. There was a celebration a few years ago organized by Dolores Minogue. Yeah. Great credit due to her for yeah, recognizing yeah. them and keeping their names out there. I, I you know, actually had the privilege to sing it.
1: I sang the national anthem that day on the street, on the main street in in Ardell, when they, were, they planted
3: three in memory of the fifty-seven all Ireland. Live which in the now, but I remember tuning into a local service. It was this Is already broadcasted live. I could see Councillor Minogue and all the dignitaries there. I got quite nostalgic looking at this and I said, what a wonderful town, what a wonderful community. People can do this.
1: Years ago, when I grew up, if someone was doing something, everyone helped. But now, sadly, the the centre of the town is gone. You know, there's no one. When I was growing up, Christmas Day, this was the one I was looking at last Christmas Day. You know, I don't have the footpath. There was no one about. When I went out as a youngster. The carpenters will be there, the mechanics will be there, the farleys will be there, the Bucks will be there, the dorners will be there, there'll be all the mcmahons, the McRainers, all in one little street. Mm. You know, now, no one.
3: Some of it's sort of a reflection of a change in Ireland. Families are not as large anymore. And no television. And no television. And you made your own entertainment. You did, you did. You did. So in our case, we played... In the shore cut up in Bridge street I bet you oh. played in in McGee's. In McGee's, yeah, and we were hunted yeah. out of the place a few times. Yeah, and we went down the River Dee fishing during yeah. the summer. you went yeah. cycling and you're helping your yeah.
1: The first fish I caught was, home it was close to your house, it was just there at mm. the ripples. You know the ripples down yeah in there. Mm. The first wheat trout I caught was there. Ah, sad people are are moved up in the world. You know they've got a lot of stuff like computers and all this broadband but they're, they're losing out on the basics you know the basic physical contact with people chatting and talking and, how's your neighbor how's the cat let's
3: talk about butterlies it's, it's sort of becoming uh, with age an institution <laughs> you know you have the traditional music you have the crack and song we were here that night ray was on his accordion singing and yeah. then spontaneously you were up in the bar in baritone, what is it, soprano or baritone? Tenor. Tenor.
1: Well, I am in <laughs> a minute because my voice <laughs> is well, well, It was 12
3: o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one morning I say. was here with my kids and I was here with David and Mavis Bren and Rachel and we had some other visitor. You know, I had a friend from America said, Geez, John, I'm coming back to this <laughs> place. This is real Ireland. Perhaps I'm living in the past. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> used to be a thing called
1: planning for the future. I seemed, I don't <laughs> seem to have that ability. Plan you know. marks around there. Just there's one ones. in the bog that you mentioned there. There's one called Inishmacht. Mm. Have you heard of Inishmacht? No. Well, Inishmacht is Sitmacht's Island. It was raided by the Vikings on three occasions. It's record- recorded, you know. But the only time that they could raid that bog was in the winter, when everything was frozen. In the summer and other times, the it was war and they, they, they couldn't get into it, but, the, but it's there, it's on the borders of Loud and Mead, but it's still there today.
3: Where can you see the physical structure?
1: I suppose the handiest place if you go on the Kells, Rd e. to Kells Road, and where you cross the bridge, going into Mead, uh, the Burley Bridge as it's called, mm. look down to your right and you'll see the remains of Inishmacht. Mm. And there's a base, there's an underground in it as well, I was over there one day. I was trying to find it, but I just couldn't. Yeah. Ah, it's not very big. Monasteries weren't big. That it was a monastery, yeah. And then there's the
3: jumping church,
1: uh, Kildemoch. Yeah, it's another famous place where the wall was uh, reputed to have jumped to leave a, a non-believer on the outside. Archer man uh, had an act. Two things went again, and one was he was walking on a Sunday, and the other was he wasn't. He was a non-believer, so to save his immortal soul, they buried him inside the walls of the church, and the church wall jumped and left him outside. It's still there today, it's up in Kildamok, you know, and it has baffled.
3: And it's at an angle, the wall?
1: Yeah, the wall's at an angle, never, never, it's at that angle as long as I know it, you know.
3: And are there sceptics?
1: Oh, they're sceptics, but no one can prove it one way or the other. Like There were people that worked on the pyramids in Egypt, and he came over and looked, and they, they couldn't understand it, because there is no foundation to that wall they did soundings you know there were two experts there one was from Meteorological Station she went through the records and she looked at it and said yes there was a storm around that time you know that could have blown it over and the other fellow then said it was due to uh, erosion you know but then a lot of erosion has happened since that wall jumped and it's still there and still hasn't moved so
3: Dermot O'Brien used to tell a story about somebody being buried there a man with certain number of fingers and on... had an extra finger Gareth
1: Garrett's
3: What's mouth. that story? There is a, a
1: cave up there. There's an old hero buried there, Garrett Moore, and uh, he would an extra thumb. The man that finds that, if you could release him, he has an army that will save Ireland. The, the last one that got in, he had an extra thumb, but he didn't live too long to tell the tale. I knew the man, and there's a yeah. bit of fear about it. You don't often see it, but I did see a man with two thumbs. I was at a funeral in Cullen, and this man was standing in front of me, hands behind his back. He would an extra thumb. His job was a jeweller, so I don't know how he handled all the Toms. Did you <laughs> ask him no, Ireland? No, no, no. He was actually <laughs> he was actually Church of Ireland, <laughs> but I told him, I told him Gareth Ford, All right. <laughs> oh, you're yeah, too Tom. Like, I know. I'm sure that that's happened before, you know, but it wouldn't be a common thing.
3: And then we have the castle. Hatch's Castle.
1: Honest John Hatch. Uh, Hatch's Castle and then you have uh, Peppers. Pepper's Castle. But mm. There was another one there somewhere where O'Flynn's old chemist used to be, near up where Paddy Taff. You know there, that mm. satanta. There was one in that area somewhere. And I wouldn't be surprised, actually, it was a bit further up near up where Seamus Farley is, because there's a wonderful well there in Seamus Farries. There's another one in what, what is now Cares. It actually shares, that well is shared... As far as I know, by what was Brophy's Hotel, you know, mm. which was Frank Lynch's pub there. The other day, I went to a farmer to tell him there's a religious well on his fields, so he's going to open it up. He he says water is water, and he's right. I I'd love to have the ability to douse, you know, find well. Well, some people have the ability to identify where a well is by use of a willow rod or copper, a copper copper rod. You know, mm. it'll spin in their hands when they approach. The well, the well is underground, they'll have a reaction.
4: Yeah.
1: I knew a man that had it one time and he could tell it with an ordinary piece of timber.
3: Yeah. Any
1: piece It didn't mark, just hold yeah. the timber, the, it's not it twisting.
3: The high point in RD's development in terms of Employment and vitality and community cooperation, and all those good
1: things. Ah, there's a lot to be be done yet. Like, I mean, there's loads. Like, I mean, we never replaced all the places that closed. We don't have a large employer. We don't have, we have, okay, Farris Factory are very good, you know, and uh, Coach Trim out there are very good, you know, and places like that. But we don't have a big employer like you had the textile, 400 people walking into. Chair factory probably a couple of hundred, the hospital another couple of hundred, and that means a lot to a town like this. Sadly, there was a pharmaceutical company going to open up on the over at Curabeg and It was objected to, it, which should never have been allowed to happen. you know I mean children, the future generations are with the night work they're employing seven hundred people now in Portugal I think they moved i th- I think they moved to Portugal, mm. but I know the latest numbers were seven hundred. Just imagine what that would have done to Massive a small boom. town like our
2: you
3: love your life in art you're a, a true blue ardonian well, i don't have much choice <laughs> <laughs> and you entertain here and I this have is to. the hub of a lot of activity like you say things aren't quite what they are but there is there is a lot of character in this town if you talk to outsiders it's a lovely main street still even though there are yeah some close they're looking stores. well at
1: the moment are thanks to the tidy towns lads they're very good mm-hmm. yeah they're very very good Doing and you great pop
3: into a like butterlies and have a sing song.
1: Well, that provides you can sing. You know, there's certain standards have to be met, John. You know. Like, <laughs> well, you have two. Your children are taken after you. I will. James, he's uh, attending the Royal Irish Academy. You know, he's just back from Milan. There, he was over there for a few weeks there, and he was, would have sang in Rome at Trieste and the Irish National Concert Hall and place like that. He's he has a bright future, but the sad thing about it is he's another seven years to wait because he is a tenor, and tenor voices don't mature under 35 and he's only 28 so i'm going to have to keep feeding him for another seven years john
3: well then he'll feed that's your pension plan
1: i mightn't even be here john
3: (laughs) no the way with, with your energy and your enthusiasm you're going to be around a long time now you're also a very good singer yourself (laughs) <laughs> no, not now, I was some years ago. I used to sing a lot in the pub. Because before we sign off, you're going to sing for us.
1: Well, can you hear my voice so deep in so this? We're deep? just
3: going to finish off with a couple of quick questions. If you were to select your heroes, your RD heroes, oh. over the years, names that should be to the fore and up on the wall, who would you
1: have there? Well, I'm going to suggest something that no one knows anything about in this town. I had an aunt who went to Africa in 1938-39. But before she went, she took the gold medal for nursing in London. And then she joined a convent in Banley Initially, she told her mother, who was also who was a teacher. My granny was a teacher in Kellystown School over in Bally there. And she said, Mother, I'm thinking of joining the nuns. Well, mm-hmm. So she, she went to London she qualified as a nurse with the gold medal and she went to africa it was a rush on to get there before world war commenced so she went to africa and she spent her life on the missions in africa and some of the stories that she told me w- was unbelievable mm. now i know that every day she was out there she kept a diary and i used to write to her regularly now in the latter years i didn't write that much but I always kept in contact with her, you know. So she died anyway from cancer. When she went out in nineteen thirty nine she went out to stay there. But there was a change from Rome in about nineteen sixty three they advised that all people white skinned people would return every three years home. So she came home in sixty around sixty three, which was the year that John Fitzgerald Kennedy died and the pope died but she came home anyway and then she was over and back every three years but the stories that she would tell about her life there was unbelievable now i would love to get her diaries i've already started to look for them she should be up there oh, she should among the been. heroes yeah.
3: a couple more heroes well you know
1: her but maria McGuinness is an international politician
3: well, you know, she came to her brennan family reunion
1: yeah, she's very approachable. Stayed a
3: long time, she was gregarious and sociable. I yeah. went to school with Maraid. Oh, did and, you? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: she's a great woman, you know. Like, so she
3: should be up on the
1: Ah, oh, yeah, I think she should. You know, I remember very like she runs that uh, horror part of the EC brilliantly. Like she's there, she's been reinstalled in and her she, position. She yeah, elections. she did. She did. She did. You know, I think you know so aid.
3: Aid and then. Probably the aunt. uh, Anybody else from sport, maybe?
1: Probably for a humble man. You Know and a decent man, I'd say Patsy Coleman's a lovely fella, lovely, mm-hmm. lovely man. You know, Patsy Coleman, yeah, he was like Dermot O'Brien, yeah, damn, yeah, damn, lovely, lovely.
3: How about maybe I propose that you're nominated? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. no i stay in
1: the background. Thanks, I'm Brian, I'm Brian. <laughs> no, so you
3: have a nice list, I'm sure there are others. How would you have described their influence on RD life, looking at the religious well, we- orders came in? and nuns and so on many people would give them great credit for all the work they've done yeah. teaching and educating yeah. almost as unpaid volunteers yeah. on on the balance
1: they've done great work of course they have now i know no matter where you go there's always going to be someone that won't match up to what's expected and that's very sad you know and they should be out it anybody that you know they should be out but overall the brothers the nuns okay they were strict and they had their favorites and if you weren't a favorite well you, you were in trouble you know but i i was lucky I, I i didn't really i wasn't a scholar i wasn't that way inclined but what i had was a good football ability and hurling ability so i i was they wanted me for this and that so i i escaped that, and that you know but at the same time they did great work they did look like, i mean they educated the people of rd okay they weren't always right but like i had an uncle who was a teacher. Now, he wasn't a nun brother, wasn't a religious teacher, but he would go back to the school and he would teach anybody that wanted to be teached, taught, he would go back and give them extra teaching, you know. And take nothing yeah. for no, it. No, take nothing for it. No, no, no. In fact, the enjoyment he got out of it was seeing the young fella or the young girl succeed. People speak about him today. Quiet, quiet man, you know, but he, he would teach free, free gratis, you know what I mean? He would, they did good work, I know. Maybe, and it's not probably in this town. We were lucky in with the teachers and the brothers that we had. There could have been worse. I, I, I found no difficulty with them anyway. You know. Now, bear well, in mind, I wouldn't be the greatest Catholic. Attending mass and so on, as I'm not. You know, I, would, I I'm a, a very lapsed Catholic. In fact, a <laughs> lot of time I only go to funerals or weddings. You know, but mm. that's the way it is. And like uh, the 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 two priests who have here now are lovely lovely men lovely men
3: gentlemen did any of your teachers not recognize your singing abilities oh they did oh they did
1: did put me off singing for a long time (laughs) tell you that well tell us about that i mean i was what a a terrible mistake No, well i don't remember it was a good mistake i don't know Ah, uh, there was two songs we were learning, you know, and I kind of knew them anyway from my mother singing. She was a lovely singer, you know. My mother and my aunts—they were all singers, you know. And there was an organ upstairs, you know, in the in the parlor, but people hadn't even got parlors. They had an organ, and my aunt Janie, who ran the pub here, she'd spend more time playing the organ than she would behind the bar, or she got her a button key accordion or something but she was a great singer great and a wonderful singer uncle James, jimmy jamesy he was another they were all singers they could all sing you know mm. but anyway the two sounds we were learning anyway i was singing and i was giving a bit of volume you know and the brother turned to me and he said who do you think you are he says it's john mccormick is it <laughs> <laughs> so he never heard me singing again I, uh, I was in the choir, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I didn't go. I didn't go. But the two songs, ironically, were the bells of Shandon was one. Funny, I never liked it after. And the other one, if I could help somebody,
3: well, I think that speaks for itself. Yeah. He didn't help me, did he? So, can you delight us with a song to close this out? Well, what song would be suitable? One of the songs from your early repertoire, or. Well, one there was of a the song songs you gave us on the night of our party here recently.
1: I sing one verse of a song it's called uh it's often the silly night it was by Sir Thomas Moore and and it, it, it reflects back on the youth on the on his former days you know and uh Thomas Moore was possibly the greatest songwriter we ever had, you know. He wrote famous songs like The Last Rose of Summer and all, that, uh, all that, those songs. But I'll just sing one verse right? because The last time I sang it was at a funeral of uh, a man called Brian Lynch, who was a fiddler. Mm. Played f- fiddly here for years. Brian Lynch, he won an All-Ireland medal with a group from R.D. at the flat you in Kerry. He mm. had to... I suppose it's written with my Thomas Moore, but it's in keeping with the type of your interview. It's it's in memory of things long past. And Thomas Moore's thinking of his friends that are gone. And this is type of, of an interview that you have been doing with me, John. So it's uh, Often the Stilly Night. I sang it at a funeral one time, but I'm a bit hoarse now. You probably know it was my voice. You wouldn't need to be a genius to know it was that.
0: Often the Stilly Night ere a slumber's chain hath bound me fond memory brings the light of other days around me the smiles the tears of boyhood years The words of love then spoken, the eyes that shone now dimmed and gone, the cheerful hearts now broken. Thus in the still night ere a slumber's chin has bound me sad memory brings the light of other days around me when i remember all Those friends so linked together I've seen around me fall like leaves in wintry weather I feel like one who threads alone some banquet hall deserted Whose lights are fled, whose gallants dead, and all but he departed. Thus, in the stilly night, ere a slumber has bound me, sad memory brings the light of other days around me that was beautiful oh, Mickey yeah. the, that's Mickey the the McCraner,
3: very <laughs> well done keep up your singing, your storytelling <laughs> and keep running Butterly's the way we all remember it yes. with the sessions and the conversation and the crack yeah. and the lively
2: times thank you
3: very much Sean
2: you've been listening to life on planet earth with john aiden Byrne. to reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities call 973-664-9460 in the u.s or email burndesk at gmail.com that's 973-664-9460 in the u.s or email burndesk at gmail.com 973-664 9460 in the U.S., or email burndesk at gmail.com.